Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another edition of the Mickey Bog Podcast. I am your host, Jared, alongside a new co-host for this specific episode, possibly more in the future. Who knows? He's a big part of the Mickey Blog family, and we've actually had him on a few episodes in the past. So I'm very excited to have him back and to discuss what we are going to be discussing in today's episode. This episode and every episode of the Mickey Blog podcast is brought to you by Mickey Travels. We'll talk more about Mickey Travels later on in the episode. But I am so excited today to have David Mumpower back on the show. He has written over 10 million words about Disney over the past decade and is the author of Disney Demystified, Volume 1 and Volume 2, as well as Behind the Ride. He's the Chief Content Officer at Mickey Blog and also the co-host of Streaming Into the Void podcast. So go check out that podcast as well after this one. Um, and he is also someone who has been quoted on subject matter as an expert in the film industry hundreds of times by sources like USA Today, CNN Money, and so forth. He's a Disney fan whose favorite movie is Sword in the Stone and whose favorite ride is Spaceship Earth. Uh, and also, you know, is a big Epcot fan. Um, I know I've used that intro a few times, but it's it's one I enjoy repeating because, frankly, the amount of words you have written has only gone up from 10 million words. And uh, and I absolutely can confirm David is the closest thing to an expert that you're going to find on not just all things Disney, but um, especially in the film industry, which we're going to be talking some some movies today. So, David, first of all, thank you so much for coming back on the show. It's always a pleasure. Hello, my many loves. How are you? <laughs> it's uh, it's great to have uh, you back on because today's episode, and first of all, let me just give a personal shout out to Alyssa, who has been my co-host for months now and jumped right in. We love Alyssa to death. She is the co-owner of Mickey Travels and a huge part of the Mickey Bog family. Um, we You'll be seeing much more of her in the future. She's not going anywhere. I just want to emphasize her that. Her knowledge uh, dwarfs mine. She is so impressive. <laughs> She is. And and we're you're going to see many more episodes with Alyssa. This is just a special occasion where we get to have a co-host uh, of David. And, and again, hopefully many more episodes in the future as well. But today we're going to be talking about 2024. And I know what you're thinking. Well, Jared, there's still six weeks of 2023. Can we take a breather? But let me just say, uh, it was January like yesterday. So time moves by fast. And Frankly, there's a lot to look forward to, a lot to talk about with 2024. And last year, I actually did the big 2023 podcast episode, um, I believe like a week or two before the end of the year. This year, I wanted to do it sort of sooner just because I wanted people to marinate a, a little bit more on it, listen to it, and and you know, and we can sort of discuss it all. But David is, as I mentioned, about as close of an expert as you can get with all things Disney. And he also writes daily, daily with Mickey Blog and has for a long time and very detailed articles. If you ever get a chance to read them, I'm sure you have. If you've ever read an article on Mickey Blog, there's a chance one of them was written by David. But regardless, David has spent a lot of time researching and, you know, diving into um, the business side of Disney the movie side of Disney and the park side of Disney as we enter into 2024. So I just feel this is as good of a time as ever to jump into this topic. Um, so having said that, uh, I did want to start off before we jump into 2024. I did want to mention that, you know, Next Goal Wins is coming out um, this upcoming weekend. And uh, on top of that, we have Wish that is dropping the rest of this year. And Wish is obviously 
a film that Disney has put a lot of eggs into this basket, it feels like. Um, it is obviously beautifully animated um, from the looks of it, and it is supposed to be the celebration of 100 years, really, at the Disney company. It's their big film, and um, Disney, I would say, needs a win uh, on the animation side of the coin greatly. So, David, what can you sort of talk about with these two movies and what they sort of mean as we turn the page into 2024? Well, I think when you'll talk about Next Go Ones, it's a very slight film. However, it does reinforce the fact that Disney is still making these true life sports stories that are always just so warm and uplifting to watch. I still, if Cool Runnings comes on the television, I will watch it. If I see it on Disney Plus, I cannot resist it. You know, Miracle is such an intense film at times, but, you know, who doesn't want to watch the United States hockey team win the Olympics? I mean, this is what Disney does very well, and Taika Waititi is just, you know, Disney to the core, which wouldn't have seemed possible a few years ago, but it's absolutely true. And this story, everything about it is lovely, and it will actually have a bit of a surprise ending, but one that you'll respect. And then we've got with Wish... Disney, 10 years ago, two weeks from now, opened Frozen in theaters wide for the first time, and everyone was shocked by how well it started because it was such a modest film on the surface, and then it exploded into Frozen Fever, and I actually have already written an article about this that will publish on its anniversary date in a few days, where... Just the gist of it is, Frozen became a $15 billion franchise in a decade because that's how great that movie is. In a perfect world, Disney is hoping that Wish becomes a unifier, a force multiplier for all the content it does across all the, just all of the Disney brand, legitimately, because you can do so much with the Wish theme at the parks. You can tie it in and connect it in any number of ways because I, I think that, you know, Jared, you're aware of the fact the fairy godmother thing, some of the stories about the fairy godmother at the parks actually hurt if you hear them because kids will ask these things that are just absolutely impossible. But wishes like, what if there is a way where you can make a wish and it will be answered? And then it turns out the person answering the wishes is a total jerk. One woman goes on a heroic quest to say, I can do this better, and she does. This is the type of film we all want Disney to make. It is uplifting, it is inspiring, and so there are big hopes for it. But no matter what happens to it, it's going to get that brutal comparison to the Super Mario Brothers movie. It's probably going to get compared to Trolls as well, at least if Trolls somewhat matches it. If Trolls isn't anywhere near as big... The, the latest Trolls movie, nobody will mention it. But people really want to slam Disney animation as if something is lost. So Wish, a lot's riding on it. And Disney has pretty much cleared out December just to let Wish run. So that's that's a pretty strong showing of confidence. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. I think, you know, again, I, I wouldn't say Disney's in a rut from the animation side of things because I actually believe uh, Elemental should be viewed as nothing but a success. It's Disney's, you know, highest viewed um, film on Disney Plus since it dropped. Um, it it grossed nearly half a half a billion dollars and and it had some of the strongest legs at the box office we've ever seen. Right. So. So I think that was a huge win for them. But I do think that 
you know, going from the days of where it felt like whether it was Frozen or Tangled or Moana, it felt like all they could do was drop these films in the animation side of the coin where they weren't just being successful from a critical standpoint, but they were being highly successful at the box office. That is something that between both Disney animation as well as Pixar, they have, you know, sort of taken a step back on that. So, you know, ever since really Frozen 2 and Toy Story 4's massive success in 2019. So, you know, that's, that's you know, again, four years ago, um, almost five years ago. So we're we're reaching a point now where I'm not going to say they need this to be a major success, but I do think it would be very critical to the, not just the studio, but the brand as a whole as we enter into 2024. So I hope, and the reason we first brought up, if you guys can't tell, we're talking movies in 2024 first. Um, I, you know, I think the reason I wanted to to mention Next Goal wins and and wishes is because as we enter into 2024, these are films that could still be playing. You know, that's how the box office works. And Wish could also be a major part of the success of 2024 at Disney from a streaming perspective. We'll see how it does on Disney Plus. We'll see how it does in the box office. But, you know, I think both of these films, it's great to see Next Goal Wins sort of enter into the picture because, uh, as you as you mentioned, David, having these films that are a part of the previous, like, Fox brand, things like that. But beyond that, I, I just think you brought up an excellent point when it comes to Disney and sports films because beyond, um, you know, Miracle – or cool runnings. They've also done some really excellent films like Invincible or uh, uh, Glory Road, Glory Road and The Rookie. These are great movies that I grew up watching. And um, I think that Disney does a fantastic job at those films. So I think this is a great addition for that. But let's sort of turn the page over what we're going to do as we talk about 2024. Everybody is we're going to go into some of the biggest release dates that Disney has lined up for 2024. And we're also going to discuss uh, Disney Plus. Um, afterwards, in the second half of the show, we will discuss things like the Disney parks, of course, attractions that you want to be looking forward to in 2024, things that will be coming to the parks in 2024. And beyond that, we'll talk about a few other things such as the cruise line and the company and the business as a whole, um, because there's a lot going on with all of that, as we know. And uh, we just had the recent um, you know, earnings call that Bob Iger hosted. So we'll talk a little bit about the business side of things. But we're going to turn the page over to May of 2024, which is one of the biggest Fox franchises transitioning to Disney. Um, and that is with the release of Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Again, it has a May 24th release date. I am interested to see if it holds and keeps that release date. The only reason I think it might not is the competition on that specific weekend. However, I think Garfield, the animated film that is coming out the same weekend, will actually move backwards or, or move or, or move around. Regardless, the audience for this film will exist nonetheless. And if you did not watch the previous three Planet of the Apes films, they were not just highly successful at the box office, but universally loved from a critical standpoint as well. And Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is actually not a complete reboot. Um, it is technically a continuation because we will have uh, Caesar's son from that trilogy uh, sticking around and, and sort some sort of storylines continuing, which I think is very cool. So what can you tell us about this film and uh, 
what do, what do we think Disney could could sort of gain out of success out of a franchise like this? Because they're they're sort of in a unique spot here, David, where this is a this is a franchise and a film that they didn't really previously own, and right. and you know this could also sort of open up a new Pandora's box for them in terms of entering some genres that they don't usually you know do a lot of. Now, when you say Pandora, is there a hint there? <laughs> you know, it it it's a great pun that I didn't really intend for, but let me say it it does work in this circumstance because obviously with the massive success of Avatar the Way of Water, which again was a Fox franchise prior to the merger, um it's the same sort of deal. It's it's films that they didn't have access to before that they didn't anticipate maybe the the success that was brought onto it. Um, Avatar is a little different, obviously, due to Pandora, the land sure, and, and things of that nature. But regardless, um, what can you sort of tell us about Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes? And what are your thoughts as we uh, as we enter into this next chapter of that franchise now underneath the Disney brand? So the least successful of the three Planet of the Apes films during the reboot, you know, there was obviously a Tim Burton one in 2001, but the reboots, mm-hmm. 480 million. That's the least successful. These are three very popular films, and I'm pretty sure, I I can't look right now, but I think the first two films both finished in my top five for the year. And you have to realize, I watched every wide release at the time, which means out of more than 100 films, I thought they were a 95th percentile, highest quality imaginable. When Disney bought Fox, three of the IPs I specifically mentioned mattered were Alien, which might come up again in a second. Pandora, the Avatar stuff, and this. And this is going to be the first test of it. And they just actually showed the first, really, the first 10 of what the film's going to be in a teaser the other day. And it's pretty hot. Um, I have a lot of optimism for this. And I think in a way, and I hate saying this, but it's true. It's kind of good that people don't think of this as a Disney project because it will not face the same criticisms that you'd normally hear. However, if it doesn't do well, well, it'll cycle back to that. But just analytically, they have gone out and they have gotten a Sam Raimi person. Uh, The director of this film uh, directed a film, hold on just a moment, Uh, a brilliant horror film about a blind man and they get trapped in his house. Uh, Silence? I'm blanking on the name of it. I'm sorry. But anyway, one of the best horror films of the past decade and Sam Raimi and Robert Tapper basically have stood up for this guy and they've told Disney, you want to be in the business of this director and they have given him a plumbed assignment. And I feel like it's really going to pay off in spades. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, I, I think so. So just for our listeners and, and viewers out there, we're, we're specifically talking about um, West ball uh, who has joined the project and um you know previously beyond um you know kingdom of the planet of the apes which of course is coming up he also was responsible for the maze runner you know franchise and and those films and everything like that this is really the the interesting thing here is that this film um as i mentioned is a continuation but also a reboot where it could sort of launch a new chapter so it could be a a new trilogy down the line um but it also could bring in the fan base from that previous trilogy 
which I think is important because there's a lot oh, of yeah. people who have a profound love for the newer trilogy, which was really headlined by Matt Reeves, um, who I think did an incredible job with the Planet of the Apes trilogy and is now, of course, uh, taking over the Batman franchise. Um, so, you know, I'm interested to see Wes, Wes Ball's sort of like vision here and, and how this continues on with Matt Reeves. Uh, but I really hope from a quality standpoint, we're not going to have any drop off from those three previous films because they were about as good as ask. possible. It's a big ask. I mean, I'll be honest, David, if you search, which I'm sure you have, uh, you know, greatest trilogies of all time, many times you're going to see those Planet of the Apes trilogy in the top 10. Um, and that's a pretty incredible feat. So, you know, seeing this as a fourth film really in that franchise and in that world, I'm very curious to see how it does. And obviously, if it does well, there's no way it won't be continuing on in the future in some way, whether films, shows, or anything of that nature. So I'm actually going to tie this together because I was just an idiot and you very smoothly corrected me, but I was actually referencing the director of Alien. That's on me. Uh, <laughs> that's the person who actually had directed uh, Don't Breathe. Don't Breathe starred the guy from Avatar who's the villain in the piece. It's all connected if you look at it a certain way. And the two projects have a lot of similarities, which is why I'm looking at them. Disney basically had these two IPs. They had Alien and they had Planet of the Apes. And with one, they tied it all together and they said, okay, we're going to let you take over right, not right with, but generations after the third film. And you're going to figure out the pieces from there. With Alien... They're going to do a standalone film because there was an alien film that came out a few years ago that Ridley Scott directed that people didn't necessarily love Prometheus. I did, but the one that came after Prometheus, everyone despised. So they're going to do a fresh reboot there. And both of those films, and you know, when we talk release dates right now, we're kind of doing it in air quotes. The actor's strike mm -hmm. has just ended. Nobody is completely sure which date will hold. But currently, the Planet of the Apes film is supposed to be a Memorial Day release, and Alien is supposed to come out in the fall. And I'm really curious about both of them, because we are setting up the expectations when we say this. It's the Alien franchise. It's the Planet of the Apes franchise. And yet, it's Disney's first kick at the can on both. And so, we don't know how that's going to go. And historically, a lot of times, when somebody takes over a project like this, it takes a few times to get it right. So it's it's pretty messy when you get to it. And that's why the summer is so important for Disney, because then you get to the heart of it. And, you know, that's where the surefire hits are, I hope. Yeah. Right, Jared? I, I totally agree. And speaking of surefire hits, that sort of brings uh, us to our next point, And that's Inside Out 2. Um, because Inside Out 2, which I know you have sort of referred to this as uh, Disney's get-out-of-jail-free cards, which I actually really uh, think that's a great way of putting it. Um, you know, I felt when Toy Story 4 was made, I felt the same way about that film. I felt it was unnecessary, but I felt it was a lock for a billion dollars. And that's exactly how I still feel about that film. Uh, I, I am one of the biggest Toy Story fans you'll ever meet. It's my favorite animated franchise. It's my favorite Disney film ever, favorite Pixar film ever. And um, and I 
not a huge fan of the fact that they even continued after Toy Story 3. But regardless, we're actually getting a Toy Story 5, so I'm fighting a losing battle. But regardless, uh, you know, there are certain franchises that Disney Pixar has created that are that are so successful that have built such a fan base that it is just there is no way it is not going to be successful and that is really how uh i i'm almost completely positive david and i are going to feel the same way about inside out too um and so why every bit as good on paper as haunted mansion did this summer Okay. All right. That's probably <laughs> an exaggeration, but yeah, I, I never say never in this business, but yes, when I look at Inside Out 2, that's just a perfect project because everybody wants it. There was an Inside Out short where she went on a first date and mm. the kid was just a total schlub. He was just, you know, absolutely useless, just like all teen boys are. And mm-hmm. it worked. It absolutely worked. And it set the table so perfectly for this sequel. And we'll both be stunned if this one misses, right? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I am, I'm nowhere near to the level of uh, box office expert and, and, and as uh, seasoned in the film industry as David is. However, David gave me credit last year when I, when I called Avatar 2's $2 billion success. And I have begun over the past year taking a almost obsessive uh, deep dive into the box office with how I track films and how I predict films. And there's certain ones this year that did surprise me, sure. And certain ones that, you know, I'm sure next year will too. But this is one of those movies that I just, I, I really have every faith in the world is going to be successful for Disney. And uh, I really just feel like it's been confirmed even more recently when Inside Out 2 got, and I quote, the biggest 24 hours of views for Disney um, in history. And that's that's across TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. That was their biggest first 24 hours of a trailer drop. Um, in the history of the company, that's pretty incredible uh, when it comes to their animated projects. So um, I I have a very strong feeling it's going to be extremely successful. And I know, um, you know, David and I feel similarly about Frozen 3 and Toy Story 5 and these these other franchises that are, they just have such a big fan base. It's so difficult for them not to do well. Um, similar to how the MCU was for quite a while. Uh, but, you know, uh, speaking of the MCU, that actually brings us to our next big release um, in 2024, and that is the only MCU film to get a 2024 release date, which, in my opinion, is both shocking but also not shocking for the current situation in the current, um, you know, I guess generalization of how the MCU is doing. Um, and that's Deadpool three, which is dropping on July 26th. It does have a confirmed release date that Ryan Reynolds just recently, um, absolutely confirmed. Um, I believe this film could be exactly what the MCU needs and exactly what Disney needs to be frank. Um, and we don't need to have an entire MCU episode. We could, David and I could probably film a few just about Marvel. Um, but, but I feel they are very smart in my opinion, David, to delay the rest of the projects that were slated for 2024 and just have Deadpool three, because Deadpool three feels like 
their biggest, most surefire hit. Um, the first two films were massively successful financially at the box office. And you have Hugh Jackman returning as Wolverine in the third film. You have so many rumored cameos. It's one of those films that to me screams just a lot of financial success for Disney. And at the same time, not only do they need that, but I also think it's going to sort of be beneficial for the MCU to have a breather and for fans to sort of have a little bit of a respite, if you will, um, until hopefully we kick off things with more highly regarded projects in 2025 from a critical standpoint. So wanted to hear your thoughts on all that, David. I think that you have just summarized the situation perfectly. There was a time when there were three different MCU releases scheduled for 2024. Kevin Feige has used the Hollywood strikes with the writers and the actors. He has used that downtime to look in the mirror and go, all right, we need to figure out what we're doing wrong and we need to address it. They have tossed a lot of the Daredevil footage completely out the window, started from scratch on the TV show. They have looked at Captain America Brave New World and they've said, we're not going to have a good film if we release this next summer. So they've pushed that back a year, which, you know, is a scary thing. Harrison Ford is not getting any younger, but it needs to be done. And that's that's where we're at with a lot of this, where they're in a position right now where there is so much schadenfreude and there's so many people kicking them when they're down that they just can't afford to miss right now. They have to get in control of news cycles for a while. I had a friend joke the other day and I laughed and laughed and he's right. All right. Sure. The first 23 Marvel movies did incredibly well, but the 24th one did not see, I told you they were bad. That's where we're at. I actually looked. if you were the, most critical person on the planet, 88% of MCU films have been successful. If you're a reasonable person, it's 94%. Who would yeah. not kill for that track record at anything in life? I mean, if you yeah. and I do our jobs at 94%, everyone loves us. You know what I'm saying? So the whole thing is overblown and ridiculous, but you're right. They looked at it and they said, all right. Hugh Jackman, Hugh Jackman is apparently living with Ryan Reynolds right now. They get photographed together every five minutes. They're inseparable. They're best friends. They somehow mm -hmm. have found themselves in the Taylor Swift universe. I don't even know what's going on there, but there are now rumors Taylor Swift might even appear in Deadpool 3. If you have ever acted as a Marvel character, you should stay by your phone on the off chance they call you for Deadpool 3. And I have to say, I know what the plan has been here all along, and I always have to be careful with these things. That plan might have changed given recent events, but having seen the art Marvels, I don't think it has. And people are going to really like that plan when it comes to fruition. And so I feel like next July, everybody's going to breathe a sigh of relief and go, that's what we wanted from the MCU, which honestly has also happened this year with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. It's just stuff happened after that that made people overshadow it. And I will say, uh, I believe Loki season two was a was a grand success, um, and and that show as a whole it really reminded the the general audiences just how how great the MCU still can be, and how again, as David was just alluding to, you know, we can we can take a 
a breather here, okay? Like, sure, there's been a few films in recent history that haven't made a billion dollars. The Marvels is obviously not doing extremely well. And, you know, we're going to have some films here that aren't, you know, as successful as maybe their track record was. But you would take the MCU franchise over any other franchise in the history of cinema for its success. It's just the facts, and I'm the biggest Star Wars fan you'll ever meet. I promise you, you would still take the MCU I don't like saying that, but it's true. They have that many success, that many franchise hits. It's it's ridiculous to think that, you know, we should be betting against them at this point. They've had a few little hiccups. They're going to be fine. And Deadpool 3, in my opinion, is one of the few locks for 2024 to make a billion dollars. I genuinely believe that. I don't know how much it will make, but I believe it will make a billion dollars. And I also think it has a genuine shot of being the highest highest grossing rated R film of all time and passing Joker. I'm not, I'm not positive again. I don't know the future. That is my current big bold prediction. If I had to for 2024's film slate. Um, and I honestly don't think it's that bold. That's how successful I think Deadpool three will be, but let's move on to a few other projects. Obviously we are uh, David and I famously, once we start talking about things have a tendency of, um, not being able to stop. So we're going to try our best to uh, speed up in the second half of the episode. We'll see. Um, but The Amateur, which uh, features Rami Malik, uh, you know, obviously the actor behind Freddie Mercury, um, as well as Rachel Brosnahan, which is not just famous from Mrs. Maisel, but is also playing Lois Lane, the upcoming Superman film. Um, basically, they have, of course, a film coming out here as well. You have Mufasa. The Lion King, which is dropping in December 20th of 2024. Um, and beyond that, obviously, lots of films have shifted into the 2025 release dates and sort of that whole calendar year. That is heavily influenced, of course, as David mentioned, by both the writing strike as well as the actor strike. So Disney has a lot of projects that probably would have come out in 2024 that are no longer going to um, which really is making 2025 turn into one of the most packed film years in the history of cinema. So we're yes. going to see how that goes. But regardless, um, what are your thoughts, I guess, on these next two films I just mentioned? And as the uh, 2024 slate of films as a whole before we switch over to Disney+. Plus. So what I'll briefly say about the amateur is um, I love the cast. Um, I did not finish Mr. Robot, but I find Romy Malik infinitely watchable. And we are diehard Marvelous Ms. Maisel fans. We're actually Gilmore Girls fans. So we've been with the creator of that show, Amy Sherman Palladino, since day one. Um, I will watch Rachel Brosnahan in pretty much anything. Um, this story in particular is a lot more aggressive than it sounds when you name the two cast members. At least it could be. Uh, I know I said in the, the notes, it's kind of like recently widowed John Wick. Um, if that paints a picture for you of what's going to happen, or if Liam Neeson, you know, did taken in his thirties rather than however old he was when he did it. Um, basically Romy Malik's wife dies and he decides that he will do whatever it takes to go on uh, a revenge tour. So he joins a federal government institution so that they'll train him in how to be a ruthless assassin. Um, I'm told it's actually more upbeat than it sounds. And I'm kind of struggling with how that's possible, but um, we'll see. I actually think that one has a chance to be, 
a Mr. and Mrs. Smith, if you want a, a fair analog for it, where it could go really, really right in the best case scenario. Whereas with Mufasa, that that is such a strange situation to me because if I'm just pinpointing a film in 2024 that could face the same fate as Haunted Mansion has and has the Marvels has, it would be this one. Because I know you were talking last time, Jared, you speak for a lot of people and you say you are over these live action adaptations. We've already had a Lion King live action adaptation and it destroyed the box office. It was just incredibly successful. But did we need two? And that's kind of, will people go along with this because it's a new story? And I believe in The Lion King. I believe in it so much that when when I think about this, it's hard for me to be negative. But when I think about some of the comments I'm seeing about Disney right now, I also see the other perspective. So I really want that trailer to be excellent to remind people why they love The Lion King because you shouldn't be able to mess up the Lion King. I will say that out of all the live action films, Disney is uh, adapted from its classic stories. I've liked them all except the Lion King. So, <laughs> Yeah, I don't think you're alone in that, um, David, to be honest with you. Uh, so here's my, here's my one sort of saving grace or, or positive spin here for Bufasa. And again, this is strictly my opinion. Um, and I think it's the release date. I think it's a genius move to move it to that December 20th slot. Um, the reason I bring that up is that was originally going to be um, Avatar 3. Uh, Avatar 3 got pushed back a year. Um, again, could be even more. Um, but I, I actually believe Avatar 3 will make that December release date of 2025 because they filmed it all at the same time as Avatar 2. So they're really doing mostly post-production work on that film right now. But regardless. Disney has found immense success in that December time slot, whether it was not just Avatar, but the Star Wars franchise as well. Um, Disney fans come out in force, um, as we've learned over the years, during that Christmas week leading into New Year's. So I do believe that film could surprise us from a financial perspective just because of you got Christmas break and and Disney has over the last decade absolutely crushed competition at the box office on a on a weekday perspective during that time period just because of obviously kids are out for school and kids go to Disney films so you got a Lion King spin-off film during the holiday season when all the kids are out of school I think we could see that surprise some people financially. Whether it is good or not is an entirely different conversation. I hope it is. I wasn't a huge fan of the live action adaptation myself. Um, but regardless, I, uh, I, I'm a huge fan of some of the live action films. In my opinion, I have been a bigger fan of when Disney takes live action or animated franchises and almost makes reimaginings or or sort of on the same breath as Christopher Robin, if you if you will. I love that film. A lot of heart. Um, turned me into a puddle of nostalgia, to be honest. Um, but that that's, in my opinion, what Disney should lean into more of when it does a, a live action film or take a franchise and, and almost do more, not necessarily a carbon copy retelling, but 
do something different for us because I think they do a great job when they do that. Um, but regardless, I'm very curious to see how that franchise does uh, or that film does. Um, and as you have alluded to, there's lots of projects that have been delayed into 2025 um, that we'll see how they do. Um, obviously, that I think VFX and CGI is extremely important that Disney starts nailing that more because they have been criticized on that side of the coin. Um, Scarlett Johansson obviously has commentated that the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror is making progress. So we're going to see when that, you know, comes out. Um, and of course, Snow White and Elio uh, were also pushed back farther, as well as uh, the um, another sort of film that live action film that will be coming to us in 2025 is Moana, um, which Dwayne The Rock Johnson was just talking about the other night on The Tonight Show. Uh, which, it is going to destroy the box office. You don't even know. <laughs> and and I, I got to say, I completely agree. I don't think people are fully prepared for how successful that film is going to do at the box office. Um, I don't I, – I'm curious if it touches The Lion King at $1.6 billion. I think that's a huge number, and it's, of course, I believe the seventh or eighth highest grossing film of all time. But – I, I think it's got a real shot at doing some numbers like people aren't fully aware. Um, so regardless, we, again, uh, David and I could talk about all this for hours, but we do have a lot more on the agenda. So I'm going to push. I do want to make one quick comment of about course. the Scarlett Johansson thing, just because it was so interesting. Um, she famously got in a divorce proceeding with Disney that was one of the wildest stories <laughs> I've ever covered. Bob Chappick didn't just shortchange her money. He also accused her of being greedy during a pandemic when she was eight and a half months pregnant, which really is maximum Bob Chappick to me. It is. It was so tone deaf across the board. And at the time, it was impossible to envision her working with Disney anytime soon. But she's personal friends with Iger. And so now that he's back, they apparently have kissed and made up, which means we are going to get... A movie I personally have wanted for a long time, and don't talk to me about Steve Gutenberg and that thing. Uh, a Twilight Zone Tower of Terror movie that has Scarlett Johansson's fingerprints all over it. That sounds marvelous. Um, and then, you know, just analytically with Moana, um, you mentioned my Streaming Into the Void podcast. We do Nielsen ratings every week. I've actually started doing it sometimes for Mickey Blog. Moana always is either in the top 10 or just misses the top 10 every week, seven years later. It is comfort food television for everyone who has Disney Plus as a service. Now, if you'd like to watch something different, listen to Jared and watch Christopher Robin this weekend. You'll be very, very happy when you do. <laughs> but I know that your parents with kids, which means you're going to stick on Moana, you're going to hum the music all day while you do something else, and your kids are just going to have that euphoric glow about them as they watch it. It was a perfect film, and if you've got the rock in the movie, I don't. I'm not ready to say 1.6 billion about a film in 2025 because the global uh, international marketplaces still haven't fully recovered from the pandemic. But it's going Great. to be just incredible. Yeah, I I totally agree, um, and and I'm so excited to talk more about all of these projects in future episodes of the podcast. So obviously tune in much more in the future. And as I mentioned earlier, this will not be the last time 
you uh, see or hear of David. So have no fear. We'll be talking more about these projects in the future. Um, having well, said that, yeah, exactly. So having said that, we're going to turn the page over to Disney Plus as well as uh, the Disney Parks and a few other topics in the second half of this show. Before we do, I do want to mention that this episode of the Mickey Bar Podcast is sponsored by Mickey Travels. And Mickey Travels is a nationally recognized leader in Disney vacation planning. They are diamond earmarked by Disney. And their services are always 100% free. So reach out to Mickey Travels today for a free quote on your Disney vacation at mickeytravels.com. That's mickeytravels.com, making magic one vacation at a time. So I want to shift gears, David, into Disney+. Plus. Um, we're, we're not going to spend a whole ton of time on this because there's frankly too much to talk about with the parks and, and the business side of, the, of 2024 with Disney. But uh, there are several projects that we should mention here. Um, on the Marvel side of the coin, you have Echo, you have Agatha, Darkhold Diaries, which apparently changes the title every month. Uh, you have X-Men 97, Spider-Man Freshman Year. Those are a few animated projects, which I actually am excited uh, to see. Um, and beyond that, there's also a few other um, projects that Disney Plus fans specifically can be excited for. Obviously, several projects on the Star Wars side of the coin. Um, second season of Andor, uh, which was highly critically successful. Uh, fourth season of Mandalorian might come out the end of 2024, but I would guess guess 2025. Uh, and, you know, release dates are always subject to change and move around. But one of the things that Especially you mentioned... Especially right now, because one of the things that's factoring in is... Everybody in Hollywood just finished a strike, which means that they need people who can film right now. And on top of that, they need people who can do special effects right now. So we're going to see a crunch like we've never seen before over the next 12 months. And it's mm -hmm. going to have some ripple effects. But yeah. uh, just analytically, don't get your hopes up for Echo, everyone. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, it, it's in a huge part of that, uh, in my opinion, has to do with, um, you know, when they announced that they were going to drop it all as one giant binge on January 10th, um, that to me was a was a worrisome sign. Um, because for me, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that release date. I mean, look at the success of Stranger Things, for example. I mean, you can't possibly say that a show can't be successful because you're going to drop it all at once. Not what I'm saying at all. However, Marvel and Star Wars have found great success on Disney Plus with the weekly release dates because it sort of extends how long that the fans uh, will follow and talk about this show for an extended period of time. We saw it extensively with The Mandalorian. We saw it now with several different Marvel projects. Loki is the recent example. But, you know, I'm worried with five episodes instead of six, so they're somehow getting even shorter here. And dropping it all at once, um, it, it's a it's a little worrisome to me. I hope I'm wrong. I hope the show is successful. I hope Agatha is successful. I hope the animated projects are successful. Um, but yeah, what what are your thoughts on all that, uh, David? Before we sort of shift the page, there was an HBO show called The Idol that I absolutely buried because it was a disaster project. And at the end of the day, they filmed six episodes, and they could only find five episodes that were worthy of footage. And then they've turned around and done the same thing with Echo. Um, so there's a lot of information I'm privy to that I don't actually report because it's not my place. And I also don't like to be negative 
for no reason because people's jobs are on the line. Echo has not gone well behind the scenes. It's as simple as that. It's it's a wonderful character. The actress is amazing. I mean, absolutely amazing. Um, you're going to see, you know, probably, and that might be a spoiler. I shouldn't say that. Anyway, there'll be people you like on the show, but I, I would not get too excited about it. Whereas Agatha, third name, um, <laughs> Uh, that's going to be exceptional. That's the same people who did WandaVision. And coincidentally, while I was writing the other night, I rewatched WandaVision and it, it holds up. It is spectacular. Television it is probably the best thing Marvel has done since Avengers Endgame. It's either that or the, the Sony film, No Way Home, uh, Spider-Man, No Way Home. Uh, those are pretty much peak Marvel to me. Um, so I, Agatha Harkness is a character who deserves more time and people love her. So I, I've got a lot of confidence in that. And I also have a surprising amount of confidence in the animated shows, because if you ever just like look at the trending on Disney plus, there's actually one of the lines uh, will show you what other people are watching on Disney plus. There are generally th uh, three or four animated films, including like the spider, not film, excuse me, animated shows like the Spider-Man uh, show targeting children. It is a niche that has a tremendous amount of demand. And, you know, if you grew up in the 90s, you know about uh, the X-Men animated series. It basically was so good that it justified the existence of X-Men uh, as a movie. This is a real thing that happened. Fox was on the fence about whether they should make an X-Men movie. So they ran some of the episodes of the X-Men animated series in prime time. And they got absolutely incredible ratings. It was like a shock to everyone when the ratings came in. There has always been this demand, and so they greenlighted the X-Men film, and now we have an MCU because of it. These are going to do really, really well, I think. They're going to, to fill a void people have a niche for. Yeah, I, I totally agree, and I actually want to stay on the animation topic um, because we're going to be getting series for Tiana as well as Moana. Um, in 2024. And these are major, major, again, success stories and franchises here at Disney Animation. And for them to be getting animated series, I'm very curious to see how these two do. Um, because, you know, I, I'd like to believe we're not getting another like Zootopia Plus situation or, you know, sort of, sort of animated shows uh, like you know, Doug Days, which I think is adorable. There's a number of animated shows that Disney Plus has released that are, uh, they're shorts really more than anything. They're not full episodes. They're, they're very quick, short episodes for, for your kids' background and entertainment. And there's nothing wrong with that. Again, a lot of wonderful people work on these projects. However, um, I, for one, believe it would be really cool to see them more dive deeper into full episodes of, uh, of real animation. Some of the greatest shows of all time are animated shows, um, you know, whether it's Avatar The Last Airbender and that success, or, you know, even in Disney side of the coin, they found uh, a good amount of success with Tangled, the animated series. Yes. So, um, you know, I'm curious to see uh, how these two do and, and wanted to hear your thoughts on that. I think you've pretty much expressed what I would say here. Um, realistically, 
Tiana and Moana are two of Disney's most important characters of the 21st century. And as you said, I was going to reference Tangled if you hadn't. They found tremendous success by extending that story, which seemed like it was tied off. But then they went and found new story and they created a really fascinating, you know, multi-season event with Tangled. And I am expecting the same thing to happen. Tiana's story lends itself so well. It's probably going to be, I don't actually know this for a fact, but there's going to be a time on the attraction, which we'll discuss in a moment, which is set after the events of the film. But in between, Tiana has become wildly successful in New Orleans and a community leader. I think they're going to fill in the blanks of her ascension in that regard. You know, she's already in the film. She's already wildly loved by, you know, everyone who encounters her because it's just a great character. It really is. And then with Moana, we've already talked it up. Moana is the thing people don't realize. Moana and Encanto really are right there with Frozen in terms of popularity. I stand behind that. Yeah, I I totally agree, and and I if anything, I think Disney should be doing more uh, with Moana and um and with uh, Encanto. Um, we're seeing now them dive fully headfirst into what they're doing with Frozen, mostly at the international parks. But the success that Frozen has granted the company cannot be understated and both of these films made over a billion dollars and um this is a highly successful franchise but we're gonna we're gonna sort of turn the page here because we do have several more things we want to talk about uh in relation to disney in 2024 we're gonna start with the theme parks um in this next chapter of the conversation because we were just talking about tiana and let's be honest that is where the conversation sort of begins when it comes to 2024 obviously it's divisive um obviously this is sort of a topic that certain sites even try to avoid to be honest and frankly i don't fully blame them because it is you know a divisive topic the fact that tiana's bayou adventure is coming to both disneyland and walt disney world but beyond that, it is replacing a uh, attraction that was beloved by lots of people in, in the sense of Splash Mountain. However, um, was obviously replaced for a reason. And uh, there's controversial, you know, you know, maybe opinions on this or wherever you stand on the topic. The fact is we are scheduled to get Tiana's Bayou Adventure in 2024. Um, in my opinion... Um, I'm not going to dive into too deeply about, you know, the controversy side of the coin. However, I am firmly on the boat that Princess and the Frog is one of the most gorgeous and best films that Disney animation has ever put out. Um, I think it has held up tremendously over the years. I believe that it is one of the most beautifully animated projects. Obviously, it's one of their last uh, hand-drawn animated projects. And also, I believe the story of Tiana, the message of that film, is among the best messages that has come out of any of the Disney animated films. And that's that, you know, digging a little deeper to find out who you are, but beyond that, working hard and following your dreams with, you know, the sort of message of working hard is extremely important, not just for people, but especially girls out there. I know how much this film means to a lot of people. And that's why I have great faith that the attraction can be fantastic so wanted to see where you sort of stand on on that topic 
It's a complex uh, subject, obviously. There isn't a right or wrong answer here, other than the fact that we all agree that Song of the South is an abomination and should not be part of the Disney catalog. Once we accept that, it had incredible music, and we all can't help but sing and dance to the music because it was so good. And that is the disconnect we all face. There is a dichotomy here that's challenging. There's... There are people I can't look in the eye and say, you know, I'm fine with this because I'm not. And that's that's the part of this discussion that's a problem. Uh, Justin Hermes, who's one of the Mickey blog writers, wrote a very heartfelt, I'm really going to miss Splash Mountain article. You can find it in our archive. I recommend it. It's good. He's right about it. But there's two things here. First of all, the problems weren't going away, and this is a way you address them, just like the auction scene from Pirates of the Caribbean, which nobody talks about now because the new thing with Red being so jovial, you know, with the other pirates, it's better. We yeah. can always trust Disney to make things better, and I was writing about this when I wrote about Frozen's 10-year anniversary. I loved Maelstrom. I loved Maelstrom. Frozen Ever After is objectively the far superior attraction. So it's not like we're going to get something worse here. It would be a problem if that were the case. Um, Tiana's Bayou Adventure is going to use the music from The Princess and the Frog. And every word you said about Princess and the Frog was accurate. Every word you said. And I'll throw in the fact the setting, the New Orleans setting, is absolutely breathtaking. And the music is captivating. It is just joyous in that regard there is a euphoria when the princess and the frog soundtrack is on that's going to be the future attraction now and it's still going to have the splash down at the end it's just not going to be named splash mountain so i understand why people are upset uh, are upset to a certain extent but i also think that walt disney looked his imagineers in the eye and he said we're going to have to keep making Disneyland better over and over again. And if he'd lived until Walt Disney World, if he'd finished his Florida project, he would say the same thing. And the reality is, Imagineers believe there is a better version of this attraction they can make, and they've done nothing that would dissuade me from believing they won't. So I have just total confidence in it. I do. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Um in in relation to to most of what you said you and i disagree on only one thing and you didn't even mention it and and that's about um we it's actually more so in both of our notes and pre preparation for the podcast but um you mentioned the great movie ride and um and how you know that's a that's a attraction that improved with minnie's runaway railway I agree in the sense where I think that the attraction is great and it's so great for children. Um, but I think there's such a fine line here, right? Where it comes to like, just because we can doesn't mean we should. And just because a ride is better doesn't necessarily mean it actually belongs in that place. And I think that's why this conversation is so complex because, you know, you have a grand amount of people who associate that area of the park with Splash Mountain and all their memories and, and everything like that. And as you said, I, I'm glad you mentioned Justin's piece because his article titled It's Okay to Miss Splash Mountain is a wonderful piece. And he really d dove deep into all these complex feelings you, that people are having. It's okay to miss it. Nobody's ever saying you shouldn't miss it. Um, however, it's it's such a layered issue. And, and I think the great movie ride for me is something that 
it doesn't it doesn't even matter if objectively uh Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway is better because I adored that attraction so much and I find it so synonymous with MGM and now Hollywood Studios that I find the decision to remove it just like mind blowing to me. It's one of the all time Disney decisions that I've never been able to fully wrap my head around. Now, are there, is there benefits, the attraction that's there now? Of course. And I can objectively look at it that way. But what I'm saying is, what I just said about the great movie ride, that's more of an emotional response, right? That's not an objective response. And that's why this issue with Tiana's is so complex because people have objective responses. Like we discussed about how successful Tiana is as a character, the film, the music is one of the greatest soundtracks Disney's ever released. It's just a fact. I mean, go back and play that soundtrack. There are so many amazing hits on that soundtrack. It's hard to ignore that, the truth. But regardless, Having everything I just said, there are people who have more emotional responses, like I have about the great movie ride, because I have emotional ties and emotional feelings to that ride. I'm going to say, oh, no, it should have never been removed, even if I could objectively say that Runaway Railway is better. So I wanted to mention all that because you yourself mentioned how complex this issue is, and I sort of think what I said sort of adds a little bit of context to that, because I think there's two ways to respond to this obviously new attraction coming our direction. And that's that you have to be able to separate your emotional ties to this previous attraction, this previous land, and also look at objectively, as David said, the Imagineers could be just trying to give us a better attraction. And I think they have all the tools to do so because you have a phenomenally animated film here really a franchise now with the show coming. You have a phenomenal soundtrack, a gorgeous setting in New Orleans. You have all the pieces for this to work out wonderfully, I guess, is what I was trying to say. No, I think that's totally fair. The the difference with uh, the great movie ride versus this is I think we both agree it shouldn't have been an either or. They could have built another ride building and they could have put it there. And I am right there with you. Since day one, it was a great movie ride at Hollywood Studios. It is weird entering Hollywood Studios and knowing that you can't just go due north and get on the great movie ride. I can't get used to it. It, Yeah. I I hate that part of it. With Maelstrom versus Frozen Ever After, that really was one. Something had to give. One had to die for the other to live. And I think the same is true here. And I think Disney also wanted something to die. So, you know, that's that's a lot of it. But yeah, we could legitimately have a full podcast just on how Disney proceeds when it has plans in place because the Space Mountain discussion, Japan's going to just tear down Tokyo Disneyland Space Mountain and build it anew. And that's going to be the most desirable Space Mountain when it happens. You cannot do that at Magic Kingdom, though. Nope. Nope, you can't. And it And again... This is the interesting aspect of theme park fandom as a whole, because similar to films, when you reboot or remake a film, you have a lot of fans out there that will have outcry and will be upset about this because they feel, oh my gosh, how could you do this? There's the originals. I'm sure Planet of the Apes people felt that way when they announced the new trilogy who watched the originals 40 years ago. That's totally fine. Okay. There's, there's that, but. In my opinion, I've always maintained this when it comes to films and franchises as a whole. You know, 
it is okay to be upset, for example, that they rebooted Spider-Man after Tobey Maguire, and then they rebooted Spider-Man again. But guess what? You have a whole generation of people who grew up and loved Tobey Maguire. That's wonderful. You have a whole nother generation who grew up and loved Andrew Garfield. And now you have a whole nother generation who loved Tom Holland. The character is bigger than just one actor. It's an incredible character that deserves to be told in several different ways. The reason I bring all this up, David, is I believe that sometimes we as fans, especially in the theme park world, really get overly invested into certain attractions and certain lands and certain characters because we have such nostalgic feelings of how it played a role in our childhood. Did I enjoy going on Splash Mountain with my entire family growing up every single time we went to Disney? Of course I did. But do I can I objectively take a step back and recognize that this is this is a problematic film that this is coming from and that this really is a needed change? And frankly, I love the animated film that's it's coming from anyways with Tiana and Princess and the Frog. Yeah, so it's a layered issue and you can sort of feel multiple different ways all at once. Um, but having said that, there's still several more things to talk about with the park. So I want to move on here. Um, want to talk about where we're headed in regards to other sort of spaces in the Walt Disney World and Disneyland areas. Obviously, we've had a big couple of years at the Disney Park. So it's funny because a lot of people look at 2024 when it comes to the Disney Park specifically, and they're like, oh, not that much is coming. Okay, well, maybe take a step back and see what did come in the last five years, because the Disney Parks has actually opened up quite a few experiences, new attractions, lands, and everything in between in the last five years alone. Um, I, I think that's often forgotten by Disney fans and Disney Parks fans are a little too harsh on Disney with how long it takes to build things and things like of that nature. Like we, we have gotten a lot of very cool things in the last five years alone in the Disney Park. So regardless, let's shift a little bit over to resorts, for example, where the cabins at Fort Wilderness, um, of course, are starting a little bit later. But we presume the expansion tower over at the Polynesian could be coming in 2024. Um, however, we're not completely sure about that. Um, we also have things we're, such as Pixar Blakes. Hold on. Hold on. We're not. Do you know something I don't? You know, it, here's the thing, David. This is not me saying I don't think it could happen. Uh, this is me. That's more my opinion. So okay. let me preface that. Uh, because, again, Disney has a unique talent in um, announcing things and later changing that announcement. And that's okay. Um, I, again, I just gave them a bunch of credit for the last five years. So I'm not going to sit here and insult them for that. Um, but just as someone who tracks the construction in the Polynesian Tower on a multiple times a week basis, literally in person and sends in photos to our Mickey blog team of writers who writes up articles, um, would I be shocked if it got pushed out past 2024? No, I would not. Um, and I would be okay if it does, because my opinion is always going to be, I would rather wait longer if the quality is where it needs to be. Um, so just, just my take on that. A few other things I did want to briefly mention, and then I'm going to turn it over to David to get his thoughts on all these things. Um, I, I wanted to also mention things like Pixar Place, which is opening up January 30th in 2024. Um, June 2024 also brings us Fantasy Springs, which opens in Tokyo, Disney Sea. Um, and David mentioned this in his notes, which I completely agree with in the sense where we could be having an expansion and an incredible land expansion 
at a park that already is widely regarded as possibly the greatest theme park in the world, greatest Disney park in the world. So that's a huge story in itself and something to think about. Um, but beyond all of this, I wanted to sort of turn it, turn the uh, you know attention over to you, David. What are your thoughts on the parks and and what to expect in 2024? So let me preface this by saying I absolutely agree with you on the amount of stuff Disney has built. Obviously, we had a pandemic. You know, that's going to change some things. Um, but I occasionally recycle the same ride. Uh, excuse me, the same article concept where I discuss the best Disney rides of since, you know, the past five years, seven years, whatever. And the idea is always to remind people, you know, we get too close to this and then we miss the forest for the trees. It's like I was saying earlier with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. All you hear about is how terrible Marvel is doing when they release just an absolutely brilliant film in what, May? So, you know, everything is relative and we're very short term memory reactionary about this stuff. Yeah. Disney is currently working on something. And I, my understanding is you were at Fort Wilderness today. Correct. We can both be honest about the fact that Fort Wilderness is both wonderful and could use some love. And Disney yep. is really, really great about identifying places that need some love and giving it to them. Uh, they recently, you know, at Fort Wilderness, basically rebuilt two restaurants i mean that's a slight exaggeration but you know they made them better and they're going to make the cabins better and for that you know that's fantastic it also does show you some insight into disney's thinking here where it would like more rooms it would like nicer rooms that it can sell to people that you know that's their priority with construction right now this second the same with the polynesian expansion tower and an anecdote I share sometimes, but I feel strongly about it. My sister and I, when we were kids, we looked at each other standing at the Polynesian Polynesian, and said the stupid thing kids do, which is one day we're going to live here. And, you know, as <laughs> push comes to shove, that's actually possible, at least partially. And I love it. And the Polynesian, you know, this is a way that I know that uh, Alyssa and Greg and I line up. The Polynesian is my place. If I can only stay at one place at Disney. It is always going to be that. And the idea of new hotel rooms and expansion tower, I I cannot wait for that to happen. With the uh, with the Pixar place, that's kind of a challenging conversation because I don't know how much they can do. That wasn't a hotel Disney built. That is a hotel that they purchased, and they purchased it in the 20th century, and they're always trying to bring it more parallel with the other stuff that they have at Disneyland Resort. And so it's going to be just Pixar. You know, it's as simple as that. We, we shouldn't overthink it. We shouldn't think that it'll be, you know, anything will dramatically change, but it'll just have a much better theme that children will love. And so it's, it's charming in that regard. And so I'm excited about it, but I understand why other people are kind of staring at it a bit warily. And then finally, you know, we don't really talk about, Tokyo Disney a lot on the site, and that's because just for whatever reason, North Americans aren't as interested in that topic as you would expect. But the reality is that the Oriental Land Company has a very interesting business deal with Disney, and they have proven to be the best possible stewards of the Disney theme park license. And when they do something, it's going to be phenomenal. And a lot of the stuff we're seeing at Fantasy Springs and a lot of the stuff that we're seeing at Shanghai Disney. 
I don't know a date because Disney is really dancing around them. It seems like every piece of information I find and everyone I speak with conflicts on it. But at some point, these things have a decent chance of coming to the American theme parks, which is why we should care about them. I can't tell you a timeline, but it certainly seems like it's going to be in the next decade. And the attractions that we're starting to see shown at Fantasy Springs, just 10 out of 10. It's as simple yeah. as that. No, I, I totally agree. And and frankly, the uh the gorgeous, gorgeous viewings of um Arendelle that is opening up in Shanghai too has been nothing short of spectacular. And and unfortunately for my wallet has my wife demanding trips overseas. So uh we'll be we'll be uh taking eventual trips over there as well. Uh so we, we actually we, had planned to go to Disney. Uh we had actually planned to go to Tokyo Disney in the summer of 2020. So, you know, oh, wow. that's how life works out good sometimes. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah, that's that's life for sure. So we're going to sort of rapid fire go through the next few topics because we are uh, over time than how we usually do this podcast, but that's totally fine. Um, again, with, with David and I, we found in our conversations in the past, we could really go on forever. So, um, you know, I, I want to shift gears to a few things on the business side of the coin as well as the disney cruise line you have the disney treasure which sets sail on december 21st of 2024 a very huge deal of course the next ship in the disney cruise line fleet the maiden ship of um the disney wish which is you know a big deal because you know that marks officially six in the fleet um super exciting beyond that um one of the things that both David and I noted down in the preparation for this podcast is, of course, the recently announced Haunted Mansion Lounge, which is uh, coming to the Disney Treasure. Um, I cannot think of a more uh, possibly hyped up lounge uh, on planet Earth than that right there. Uh, Disney fans are going to be over the moon about that. And frankly, we have the Jungle Cruise also getting some love on that cruise. Uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea getting some love. I mean, they're they're really diving deep into this, and I, and I couldn't be more excited for it. Um, on top of that, we're also going to have uh, Lookout K, which is or Lookout Key, rather, which is coming to Lighthouse Point, the new Disney destination in the Bahamas. Um, that is going to debut in June of 2024. So real quick on the Disney Cruise Line side of the coin, David, uh, your thoughts on on these two also obviously massive stories. We're going to have more podcasts in the future where we dive deeper into the cruise line. And specifically, we have episodes planned for next year uh, on the uh, both Lookout Key as well as the Disney treasure. So if any of our listeners and viewers are watching right now being like, Jared, you're not spending enough time on this. We're, we're going to be talking about this a lot, but I did want to hear your thoughts on uh, these two, obviously very major storylines going into 2024. When we talk about Disney cruises, my wife who uh, is prone to motion sickness is always like, uh, no, no, I, I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> Haunted mansion lounge. She said, when does it start? December 2024? Uh, All right. Well, we probably won't go Christmas week, but early 2025, we're going for sure. And I think that kind of, that tells you just how much people love this concept. And I have to really hand it to the people in charge of Disney Cruise Line. They have figured out the Disney wishes ex exceeded anyone's realistic expectations to the infinite degree. It is, you know, approaching, you know, 
not even joking, 95% occupancy. You hear stories sometimes 98% occupancy, which means they don't have empty cabins on this thing. Everybody wants to be on these cruises and Disney has looked at it and they've gone, well, how do we make the next one even more Disney? Because that is what people want. They want to experience something akin to the parks, a Disney experience only without all the, you know, hubbub that you will have when you're at the parks, which, you know, is your daily life. And I'm sure you can uh, appreciate the fact that sometimes it'd be nice to be sipping a boat drink by a pool (laughs) instead. So Disney Cruise Line is exploding in popularity and it keeps winning all these awards. I know I wrote a recent Disney headlines. It just was named Best Family Cruise by a different service. That seems to happen every three months. No joke. Everyone agrees Disney dominates as the best family cruise line. And so it is absolutely necessary for them to get another key where people can hang out. And this one, just since the opening artwork for Lighthouse Point, I have just looked at it just breathless. I'm in awe of how pristine this place looks. And it's, you know, it's going to make people forget their lives for a time. They're just going to sit back on this beach with these Disney amenities and life's just going to have no burdens whatsoever. As a matter of fact, Jared, I think you should book a cruise right now. (laughs) You know, it's funny you mentioned that David, because I was fortunate enough to go on the Disney magic um, earlier this year with my wife. It was her first Disney cruise. Um, It was my second, but the first time I was a teenager. So it was our first time obviously together and as a married couple and, um, five nights on the Disney magic that went down to, you know, the, the Caribbean. Um, we actually, sorry, we went to Mexico as well as Castaway Key. And it was one of the best trips of my life. And one I'll always remember. Um, it, I cannot recommend a Disney cruise more, uh, than, than I, you know, in fact, we did an entire episode on Disney Cruise Line on the Mickey Black Podcast. If you want to go check mm-hmm. that out, uh, you know, to any of our listeners and viewers, because I dove deep why you need to go on a Disney cruise. Not not should, but why you need to uh, it, before you die. <laughs> it, it's just one of those breathtaking indescribable experiences. So we're going to wrap up here with some Disney business decisions and, and we save the, the not so fun stuff for last, you know? Um, and then we'll wrap up today's episode. Obviously it's, it's been a longer episode than usual. We appreciate everybody who has been tuning into today's episode. Um, and obviously super grateful for David coming on. Um, but David, if you want to sort of quickly recap the um, the big things to look out for for 2024 from a Disney business side of the coin, obviously we have some, you know, resolutions that need to take place, uh, some situations with ESPN, um, obviously the uh, Nelson Peltz uh, situation as well. And, um, you know, Iger is technically here until 2026. So, um, you know, we're, we're at least a little bit of ways away from dealing with that specific uh, topic. Um, but yeah, I wanted to hear your, your thoughts on all this before we wrap up today's episode. Disney's most recent earnings report basically could have doubled as them fending off Nelson uh, Peltz proactively. Uh, if, if you missed it this past year, what happened was uh, Trion, which is his investment fund, tried to push its way on the Disney's board of directors. And Disney angrily prevented that from happening, basically saying he had no experience with digital and Disney considers itself a digital company now. 
Um, well, as it happens, Peltz is best friends with Isaac Perlmuter, who you may have heard Disney fired this year. Perlmuter, when he sold Marvel to Disney, got more shares of Disney stock than anyone. And according to him, he has not sold any of them. He has just kept, uh, you know, gaining more stock over time when he knows the underrated price. So we're looking at two of the largest investors in Disney, and they would like a seat at the table. Disney just hired a CFO named Hugh Johnston from PepsiCo. In 2014 through 2016, his job at PepsiCo was forcing away Nelson Peltz, who was his problem at the time. That's a real thing that happened, so the hiring isn't accidental. There's lots of these little Game of Thrones machinations going on behind the scenes right now that all lead to the same result. Disney's stock is almost exactly, as we record this, at the same price as it was when Bob Chappick was fired a year ago next week. We are five days away from Iger's one-year anniversary. I've already written 2,000 words about it. You could read it on the site on the 20th. and. <laughs> Basically, not much has changed. Now, you can argue that's Chappick's fault. That's fine. You can argue, no, it's Iger's fault. I don't have a dog in that fight. I try to be as neutral as possible in these things. What I could say is not enough has changed. And so Disney has to make some harsh decisions. The first thing they have to decide is what they're going to do with linear networks. Because, Jared, I mean, how many people do you know who subscribe to cable at this point? Not many, to be honest with you, um, including myself, uh, who doesn't. So I, I, I agree. And, and as someone who grew up just an avid lover and follower of ESPN and SportsCenter and just obsessed with it, it's hard not to recognize the fact that it has changed and, and evolved over the years. And, and th part of that's not its own fault. It, it's more so to do with the generation and the times, you know, as you were just alluding to. So that's, that's going to be a major, you know, sort of topic of, of conversation for them, but it's not just ESPN. You have ABC and you have, you know, you have a lot of, it's more of the network side of the coin that, that Disney is going to have to deal with some difficult decisions here. Uh, and Disney owns a lot of these cable channels that they wish they didn't own at this point. And so the question becomes, are they going to sell them? We've got a lot of people like Byron Allen, who's just an absolute genius. Byron Allen basically just ran, slammed money on the table and said, I will pay you $10 billion for your linear networks. That's, that's the type of thing we're looking at. Disney has to make these decisions. And then with ESPN, they have said that in 2025, they will basically convert ESPN to where it's digital. It is over the top, which means that, yes, there already is an ESPN+. Plus, but right now, most of the premier live sports aren't on digital. And at some point, they're going to switch to where you'll be watching Monday Night Football and the Manning cast on a streaming service rather than a linear network, which, you know, it is a generational thing. And, you know, um, I don't know how to say this other than the fact that Disney makes hundreds of millions of dollars a month from carriage fees from cable companies. And when they switch ESPN to a different form, they're going to have to figure out a way to assuage these cable companies so that they can still be making money. Otherwise, ESPN is going to lose a lot of money. And there's two points here I want to make. Disney is trying to get two different types of investors who will actually buy a piece of ESPN. And one of them is someone who is a major cell phone carrier like Verizon. And that's because they have 200 million customers who would immediately have access to ESPN on their phones which would actually increase 
the number of people who can watch a live sports event, which means Disney can t continue to sell live advertising. And that's really what a lot of this is about. And the flip side is Disney has learned due to recent events, and please don't make me talk about IPL cricket, but due to recent events, Disney has learned that they cannot compete with people who have too much money if they want to buy sports licensing rights. Disney failed in its bid to renew its streaming of IPL cricket, which doesn't matter to Americans, but I swear it destroyed Disney in a weird way. They did not get the uh, NFL Sunday ticket, which was a huge get for a competitor, YouTube. Disney has lost some things that it really, really would like to have on ESPN. And so it's trying to convince one of Amazon, Apple, just somebody like that to actually become a part owner of ESPN in exchange for willingly paying the sports rights. And NBA has sports rights negotiations coming up. And it's hard to imagine ESPN without the NBA, but it doesn't want to pay what that's going to cost on its own. It wants somebody else to pay that. So Disney has some financial concerns. And if you're an investor, I understand why you're worried. And I'm telling you right now, I, I hate to be negative about these things, but I recently described 2024 as looking like it's going to be Groundhog Day. It's looking a lot like a repeat of 2023. Until Iger makes some really hard decisions, we're kind of stuck. But I will say, a lot of what he did this year worked better than most would have expected, but it came at the cost of laying people off, which is just abhorrent to me. Yeah, it's it's difficult. And again, there's a reason, to be frank, we saved this uh, part of the episode for the end. You know, nobody likes to talk about this kind of stuff, but it is true. Disney's going to be faced with some major decisions here in 2024. And It, and it if, is a dry subject. So what I will say is the thing you should remember is that money, once Disney has it and it's secured, that goes to building theme park expansions. And the plans they have in place for Disneyland Resort and Walt Disney World will take your breath away. That is not hyperbole, but Disney just said they're a few years down the line. And what they're really saying is we got to get the money fixed first. Yeah, exactly. That that it plays a part in why D23 has sort of felt like we're all a part of one giant focus group the last few years. Uh, because, you know, sometimes those announcements where they're like, maybe this is coming. It is coming, okay? Lots of things are coming, folks. But as David alluded to, there's a financial side of this business that Disney has to sort out first in order for these things to take place. And I believe a lot of what we talked about today, very good things that could be following and, and bringing and coming our way in 2024 in the film side of the business, the streaming side of the business, the park side of the business, and of course, the cruise side of the business. I believe finances are going to improve here for Disney. And I believe that a lot of these harsher decisions will also help as well. But regardless, uh, I just want to say thank you so much to David for coming on today's episode. It was a pleasure as always to have you on and um, really appreciative of all your knowledge. If you guys want to check out more of David's work, of course, just literally head over to makeyblog.com. You're going to be able to read uh, plenty up on everything that he does. I did mention his podcast, Streaming Into the Void, earlier. Another amazing podcast, especially for all you movie lovers out there. And as always, as I always like to mention at the end of every episode, I want to mention that if you enjoyed this podcast episode, please do hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, share it with a friend or a family member. Um, we would really appreciate the support. And if you really like this episode, leave us a good ranking or review. Those ranking and reviews actually allow our podcast 
podcast to get sent out to more people out there in the world so more people can get a chance to listen to this podcast, which we would really appreciate. And of course, if you'd like to continue to support Mickey Blog, head over to MickeyBlog.com. We cover Disney 24-7, 365, all things Disney, not just the parks, from the business to the streaming service to the films to the studios and so much more. And of course, follow us on social media where Mickey Blog is found on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, just all that fun jazz, YouTube, everywhere you can, you can find something. We're there uh, posting everything Disney all the time. One of the best teams in the planet, if not the best. And uh, we appreciate you, as always, for tuning in to this episode. We will see you next week on another edition of the Mickey Bob Podcast. Have a magical day.